Man, Eddie Rosario just had a walk-off base hit in the League Championship Series, and still anyone wants to talk about is Baker Mayfield. Oh, wait, what's, what's that? Rosario plays for the Braves now? Oh, no, carry on. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two at the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable! What's Pablo Sandoval up to these days? <laughs> you know, Eddie Rosario in 78 games in Cleveland had seven home runs, and in 33 games with Atlanta, seven home runs. So, a little bit of an uptick in production there. Man, the Indians yeah, should do something about their hitting the coaches. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there. Betty Rosario turned into Michael Brantley, apparently. With a four-hit game, I think, for Atlanta. The walk-off base hit game two. That's that's not the guy we saw here in Cleveland. Minnesota fans, uh, they're a little bit, little bit more familiar with what than what we see or have seen in this past year. Where We, we talked about it at the trade deadline. This guy probably has... You hear people hear no trade value. It was like he had negative trade value. The Indians were just looking for ways to clear some salary and save a little bit of money on that deal. And he ends up coming into Atlanta and playing a big role for a team that is two wins away from the World Series. That's not what any of us predicted. Well, welcome to the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zuppi. He's Zach Meisel. Once again, welcome to the offseason where we will be doing the free version of this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify every other week unless circumstances dictate that we jump on here a little bit more frequently but if you want more episodes of the godcast we are of course here for you at patreon where we give our patreon supporters a little bit of the show every single week so there's plenty still to go around i hope so if you only want a little bit of off-season coverage we're still here we'll still be here every single every other week and if you want more, if you want more off-season discussion, we are over at patreon.com slash Godcast for the low, low price of $1 per episode. And we also do some other fun stuff over there. So thank you for being here with us. And we're looking forward to a great off-season. Yeah, it's already underway. October is a weird time, right? When the team you're covering, or even if you're a fan rooting for, is not in the postseason. Like, I'd be interested, do fans of Cleveland fans care about the series that are going on? Are they as invested as they would be if their team was still in it? And then uh, how I'm curious, I'd be curious to know and, and give us some feedback. Let us know what is your appetite for you know reviewing? And we've done both of these things. We've reviewed the season that was, we've looked ahead a little bit at the off season. At what point are you ready to turn the page? Do you need a break? Do you want to still dissect what went right and what went wrong in 2021? Are you already dreaming about the 2022 opening day lineup? Are you trying to figure out who they're going to trade for and who they could sign? And I'm really curious, and I'm I'm guessing that the answer is different for everybody. Um, but I know it's always a something you try to balance. Just from our standpoint, is you don't want to. You want to turn the page, but you don't want to just run through every single thing that might happen uh, before mid-October, and then it's, what are you going to do for the next four months? So I think we're trying to 
pace ourselves a little bit here, but obviously we want to give you guys what you want to listen to. So uh, let us know. Well, we spent the last episode over at Patreon running through some free agents on top of some other stuff that we discussed too. But we looked at free agent outfielders because everything <laughs> that's, that's going to be another hot topic. The entire off season, sign a guy, trade for a guy, do both. Um, How about Eddie Rosario? Go wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that looks more appetizing than it did a couple of weeks ago. What happened there? Uh, so if you want to get some of that discussion, we did plenty of that this past week at Patreon, and you can hear some of uh, the under-the-radar picks and some of the obvious ones as well. But I'm curious, did we did we get through that too quickly, and I just didn't give you enough time to lay out some of the other players that you might be looking at at other positions? I mean, is that a thing? Are there other positions outside of outfield that you would actually want to sign a guy at? Is, is that a possibility? It seems crazy. Pretty low on the priority list I would say um, but is it out of the realm of possibility that they look for a catcher to pair with Austin Hedges I mean they've got a decision to make in a couple weeks on Roberto Perez and his $7 million team option I think all signs point to them declining that but also not ruling out a return on a lower deal uh, but again that, that would open them up to just trying to find another catcher somewhere free agency or a trade. And then I think in the bullpen, we've seen them complete reclamation projects. We've seen them make trades for guys who were maybe undervalued elsewhere and then came here and blossomed. Nick Wickren a few years ago is a perfect example of that. So I I think that's you're always keeping your eye out for that. Um, So, I mean, I did have two names that I wanted to mention. And then one is... I mean, if you look at catcher, there's not a lot out there free agency-wise. Roberto Perez is one of like four interesting catchers who has an option for 2022, and they're all in that similar price tag range too. So I don't know who will get exercised, who will get declined, but like someone like Jan Gomes <laughs> will be a free agent. And <coughs> sorry, I just choked on my coffee. Did you say Jan Gomes? I said Jan Gomes. And look, I don't I'm not advocating for this. I'm not campaigning for this. He's 34 years old. I I think I think it's important that they find someone who could provide a little bit of offense and we've seen the best and the worst of Jan Gomes in Cleveland. But he did have a good season. Uh split between Washington and Oakland, 723 OPS, 14 home runs in 103 games. He's been like a solid 700 OPS guy really for since that miserable 2016 season. Um, so 700 OPS for a catcher in Cleveland, first of all, just league-wide. League wide, last three years, 112 OPS plus, or actually it was a 98 OPS year. 112 with Washington where he played the bulk of his games. 110 the year before that, 81, 103. So he's been like, Slightly below average offensively for the last four years, which in Cleveland would be way, way, way above average. Um, it's just an interest, just a thought I had. Uh, I don't know the realistic chances of that happening. My, I would think that they'd want to find someone maybe a little younger and a little better at the dish, but there's not much out there. And I just wonder if you could get him for a couple million bucks. And more so, I just wanted to bring it up on the podcast. 
because it's a fun storyline. <laughs> and you think about, you know, Roberto Perez leaving Jan Gomes coming back. And I mean, Perez even said during that, I think it was the last day of the regular season, talking to him in the dugout. And he was saying, you know, how frustrated he was because he's been injured so much the last two seasons and he feels he still has a lot more to offer. And the, the, the frustration was boiling over because he, he said, he's like, I sat behind Jan Gomes for five years. I, I waited for my chance. And when I got my chance in 2019, I you know, he hit 24 home runs. It was great. Um, and he hasn't really, I mean, he certainly hasn't duplicated those numbers, but he, he also hasn't had a chance because of his health to, to show what he still has left in the tank. So it would, just, it would be interesting. That's all. I just wanted to throw it out there. Well, I think it speaks to it's how interesting it is because of the connection, but also what the rest of the free agent catcher class looks like that you're bringing it up. Because, I mean, is Christian Vasquez interesting? Eh, had a really terrible year. He's on a club option for next year. Tucker Barnhart, club option. I don't know. Robinson Chirinos, Sandy Leone again. Manny Pena. Austin Romine, Wilson Ramos back <laughs> off of injury, uh, Kurt Suzuki, Chance Cisco. No, no. So yeah, I guess Jan Gomes jumps to the front of the list there as far as guys that bring some level of offense and has had some track record of being a, a decent defensive catcher and a handler of a, of a pitching staff. So yeah, <laughs> his guess. expected numbers at the plate the last two no, years I, are actually really good. But this kind of speaks to what we've said before about some of the outfielders that they've put in in place and we're giving chances to down the stretch. It's like, okay, well, you did find out something about Bradley Zimmer and Oscar Mercado, and eh, maybe you can bring one of those guys back. But I'm to the point where it's like, can I just see what else you got down in the minor leagues? Can I just, can we see Oscar Gonzalez instead of another half season of Bradley Zimmer or Mercado. So maybe that's just where I'm at where the catchers are. So you have one that's, that's getting pretty close, at least offensively one. That's probably still a year away in Naylor because of the offensive limitations that he demonstrated this year mm-hmm. that, that we still have to see if that development is coming, but it's, it, sign Jan Gomes, sign one of these other guys. Or just let Austin Hedges play for a little bit longer and try to get one of these younger catchers into the mix. Yeah, I, you're going to need someone. I, like, I think Lavastida will start at AAA. I don't know what they're going to do with yeah, Naylor. That's, what I'm, that's who I'm alluding to. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with Naylor either because he, he's got to hit some before he's going to get mm-hmm. promoted. Yeah. So, you, you, I mean, I think the other option, and, and this is probably more feasible, is to make a trade because you can find backup catchers. Anywhere, I just, I just, like, I don't think you don't want to go deal for a Sandy Leone here. Like, you need someone who can provide a little bit of something because I, just, you don't want Austin Hedges bat in the lineup 155 times. So yeah, I, Gomes is interesting. It's just again, there's just not not much out there. But this, that's one spot where I think it, it makes sense to at least discuss what is available. The other one, so so the relief market. Um, I, they've never been a team that's going to go give out that you know, three-year, $21 million deal to a reliever. Because you're usually talking about a guy in his 30s, talking about a, just a role that is incredibly volatile. 
And you're talking about a team that has never wanted to allocate its financial resources in that manner, and especially when the payroll is what it is now. So, Gary Wood. I don't know. The last one I could think of. And the lefty that they spent some money on in 2017, whose name is escaping me. Yeah, Boone Logan. But that was only a one-year deal, I think, with an option maybe. Kerry Wood was a little bit more of a financial commitment at the time, for at least for the organization. Right, and that was, what, 13 years ago? Yeah, so, so. it tells you what the organization philosophy is on, on relievers. Right, so, so this might have had more of a chance before the last week. Um, but I was just thinking about relievers who were kind of like bounce-back candidates and maybe had a little bit of success somewhere. Corey Knable was so good in Milwaukee for a few years and then was a reclamation project with the Dodgers who they seemingly scoop up every elite reliever who suffers a setback and gets dumped by their small market team. And then they thrive in LA and the rest is history. I mean, Blake Trinan, another good example of it, but Knable was really good this year, but only pitched, I think like 25 innings had a two forty five ERA good strikeout rate, didn't give up many base runners, um, and, and threw hard. His fastball was 96 miles an hour, limited himself to two pitches, fastball, curveball. Um, a guy who I think is really interesting, good spin on both of his pitches. And look, I, if you're the Dodgers and you have a guy who pitched well and you know you have unlimited funding, why not just re-sign him? I, just, I, he's the kind of pitcher and the kind of profile that I'd be looking for. I, I don't think he's going to wind up in Cleveland, but he's also only 29 years old. Um, so he doesn't fit the mold of like that guy you want to be leery of and, and stay away from. I just think when you look at the complexion of the bullpen, I think it would make sense if you, if you add a reliever or two in that of that ilk, um, just for a little bit of stability back there. But again, they're not going to go out and spend big money on this. They're not going to sign anyone to, to long deals just because, Bullpens are volatile, and they've they've got some guys in house. Um, but he was before he became like a critical talking point of the postseason. I mentioned to you, I said <laughs> we should talk about this guy. He's someone I would be interested in. Um, and lo and behold, now he's just starts every game for the Dodgers. Well, I just want to put it out there. He was on my fantasy team this year long before you sent me that text message. So if we're we're checking receipts here, he's been on my radar longer. <laughs> I'm just pointing that out there. You played fantasy baseball? You didn't this year. I think you have to ask yourself two two different things here. One, should they do something like that? And we both agree the answer is yes. They could use one stabilizing force in the bullpen so that if you get all of the other arms that we've talked about to a company, Classe, back strong, and if Anthony Ghost is legitimately, if the stuff is playing like I think it can, and he's throwing enough strikes, and Sandlin comes back from injury, and Karinchek somehow discovers spin rate or how to thrive without it. That could be a dominant bullpen, one of the best in the American League, if not all of baseball, but there's still a lot of if there. So to be able to add just one more that feels a little bit more proven, that is coming off of a good year, even if it's short, because his season was limited by injury too, all of that makes a ton of sense. The second thing you have to ask yourself is that something legitimately they're going to commit resources to. And I'm not that I don't think they'll bring in a, a veteran bullpen arm because they usually bring in a couple. I mean, this year was Brian Shaw and, and Parker, Blake Parker. <laughs> I think they'll do that again. They'll find 
somebody that they don't have to guarantee a spot to, at least with Brian Shaw, they probably did in verbally, but not actually in writing. I think that's the route they'll probably go because all of the resources are going to be tied to bringing in another hitter somehow. Yeah, I think we're in agreement. I, I think it was more just he was a good example of the sort of addition that they would need to make back there. So you're saying don't trade for Josh Hader? <laughs> <laughs> who's got two years of arbitration uh, remaining. Uh, you keep bringing that up every off season. And I keep, I, I just keep saying, well, hold on, wait, it's going to happen with him. He's been utilized a ton. You're not going to get the same guy. And every year he's still really dominant. So I don't know. Why he's should I back off watch. of that now? I mean, he would probably cost you a couple yeah. of blue chip prospects, right? Yeah. And he's going to make like 10 million or so in arbitration this year and a little more next year. See, but to can me, you imagine a bullpen with him and Class A and Ghosts and Karinchak and Sandlin? And yeah, I know. Surely work in the postseason. I'm going to speak out both sides of my mouth here, but this is this is just what I'm going to do. All right, so I'm looking at bullpen and I'm thinking to myself, would I rather make a commitment for that guy now and give up the stud prospects it would take to get someone like that, not knowing if my team is even going to be in a position where that sort of reliever is going to elevate me to actual World Series status. And I think that's where you have to be to make a move like that for a reliever. Or mm-hmm. do I go into the season sort of like in 2016, where you you go in and you see what happens, and then if you're in a position to strike, then you go get that guy when you know, no, absolutely, this team is good enough. And if you add an Andrew Miller, then we absolutely are a World Series contender. And so we get into the season and then we, we, criticize, we criticize and we say, you should have addressed the bullpen. You should have gotten more arms heading into the season and not just relied on the ability to go get one in July. And I'll, I will be a complete hypocrite when I say that. But at this point right now, I look at that and I think, yeah, that would be nice to have. But can I get into the season and see what this team looks like before I'm starting to commit those sorts of reasons? I mean, it's one thing to sign a guy. You should just go sign a guy. Go do that because you don't have to give up young talent. But Making a trade like that for a reliever, just, there's a lot of volatility and things that could go dramatically wrong. That I just, I'm, I'm hesitant on something like that. No, I agree. And I think if you look at the timeline for the franchise in general, doesn't 2023 seem a little more sure br- brighter than 2022? Yeah. You're still, you're still working through some young guys where you need some answers, especially on the infield. Um, even if you address the outfield this off season and that's taken care of, like there's still, you still gotta, I think there are still some growing pains left to do for the rotation. Even I think guys are still finding their footing. Um, I don't think it's just going to be all five of those starters have make 32 starts next year and throw no. 190 innings. And so, and then you think about 2023 and you think about some of the prospects who are coming up in the next year or two, Nolan Jones, Tyler Freeman, Gabriel Arias. Like that's when you're going to be at your best is when those guys yeah. are forcing the issue and, and working their way onto the roster. So, it, yeah, trading for a reliever with two years of control, that's going to cost you prospects. And that would, I'm guessing that would be their one big financial addition. It doesn't seem like that is the wisest move. And if that's going to prevent you from addressing your outfield in the proper manner, then it makes no sense. Yeah, agreed. Because but it's fun to talk about in mid-October. <laughs> you're looking at a hierarchy of things that need to happen. I still have some belief that the back end can be dominant, even if there is a lot of question marks back there. 
And I believe in their ability to find one sort of diamond in the rough. I, I just think you'd be patient on that. Fix everything else. It's, it's like, it's like the whole, get the offensive line in place and get the running game in place before you go get your quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of feeling like that with as far as relievers and a, a lot of it, too, just because volatility. Can I see who's pitching well in July before I go make the move for that that specific character, whoever that is? Because if if you commit the resources to getting someone like like a hater and and he's not quite the same guy, then I'm in that position where I need to trade for another reliever. Can I just wait to see who's dominant at the deadline and then just try to go target that guy at that point? That just seems to make a lot more sense. Okay, so you mentioned the arbitration eligibles. You ran through the list real quick. Uh, we do have projections courtesy of MLB trade rumors, and we we kind of run through this list every single offseason. No better time than now. The Indians have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine guys on this list. I will say, keep in mind, I think the bot, Quantrill, Harold Ramirez, and Naylor are up in the air. Those guys would be super two, yeah. Um, players, I don't. We don't know the super two deadline. We should know it any day now because the season's over. Someone can do the math. Um, but so I, I think Quantrill is probably going to be arb eligible, and the other two are not. I think that that's my sense. We're just going to operate as if yes, you have to make a determination. And I think all of I just all think the names for the you just last... mentioned, it's not like they're on the well. Halo, Harold Ramirez, Harold I guess. Ramirez, yeah. Even but still, let's, let's, we'll run through this. So we'll start uh, with Austin Hedges. 3.8 million is the projection. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. I'm curious, like, and, and Roberto Perez has even said this, like, would you pay, would you prefer to pay Hedges 4 million or me 7 million? Like, obviously, a team is going to go with Hedges. Um, is there that, like, is, is that, how close were they defensively? Like, are you, are they just identical twins in your eyes at this point? I think they're pretty close. Yeah. Close enough that I don't see much from a numbers perspective that would separate them. The team would know more as far as who, who does a better job of handling the staff and maybe pitch selection. They, I'm sure they have some sort of data on that, that they would go off of. But I, I think both guys handle it just fine. Um, Defensively, it's close enough that you really you have to consider two things. Is there any separation between them offensively, and do you how how heavily do you weigh the health factor for Roberto Perez? He hasn't been on the field. Mm-hmm. That's is, the big is that one. entirely his fault? No, but it's still something you have to consider. I think if you're going to give a guy seven million dollars to be behind the plate for you, if you didn't, if Hedges didn't exist, probably be a oh, poor guy. Different conversation. Uh, would it? I mean, I think it makes it, it could potentially make this a lot easier for them, but what, wouldn't they just be more in the, the realm of, we're not going to pick up Roberto Perez's option, but the, the possibility that he's back on a smaller deal is greater. Yeah. But I mean, he, he has the opportunity to talk to 29 other teams. Yeah, that's true. There are no guarantees once you decline that option and you run the risk of having to find two catchers. And finding two catchers to work with a young staff that you put so much value in that rapport between pitchers and catcher, that would not be ideal. Well, so I just wonder. It doesn't matter I'm when I'm signing Jan Gomes. <laughs> That's true. But Jan Gomes doesn't know Cal Quantrill. <laughs> 
They might know each other. I don't know if he knows knows him. No, I think that's that's fair. And running down the list of free agent catchers, there's not a ton out there. So maybe that elevates someone that has has had one really good season as far as catchers go behind the or to the side of the dish and behind the plate continue continuously remains one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. I think that's a fair point, but I that's not the situation that they're in. Austin Hedges does exist. So how much easier does that make that decision? Much. And I've had people ask, is trading for Wilson Contreras a possibility? He's like exactly what this team could use. And you could say that about most teams. I'm assuming the Cubs will listen to offers for him because he's got one more year remaining and then can be a free agent. And they're rebuilding, I think. I don't know what they're doing. We should well, ask Carter Hawkins. They do have Frank Schwindel. So it's the guy you um, want to build around. But it's, again, it's, I don't think. If you're Cleveland, you don't want to give up anything of value prospect-wise for a guy who would only be here for a year. And so doubt that would make much sense. Plus, he's a guy that you want in that lineup every day, which would render Hedges sort of moot. You're paying Hedges so he can be in that lineup and, and work with those pitchers, if not every day, like, I don't know, two thirds of the games, 60% of the games. Yeah. Well, I think there's more offensive upside with with Perez. That feels weird to say, considering there's only been one really great year, but it's a little bit more recent, I think, than the, the season that Hedges had a few years ago where he demonstrated more power and was a little closer to a league average player. But again, that was the one year that, as much as I have over his career wanted to say Perez is better offensively than what he has appeared to be, at some point you just are what you are, and that, that one season to this point is an outlier. So. That that's a definite yes, as far as I'm concerned on, on hedges, and I don't I I just don't know how you could justify when there are so many other areas of needs giving a guaranteed even three million dollar increase over the guy that you currently have. This doesn't seem to make much sense to me. All right, next up next up on the list is Nick Whitgren at two point eight million dollars. He was he, he filled a, a a very necessary role for this organization. For two seasons, and then this year has it was it was bad. It was brutal. Yeah, I think he's gone. Um, it's interesting. Like I, he, I think he and his family love Cleveland. I think they would stay here if they have the choice. Um, I just think the way arbitration works, you don't get a reduction in salary, and so even though he had a rough year, that two point eight million figure is is it would at least be close to that. So I don't think they'd want to pay him that. Uh, I'd be curious to see. Uh, he can probably get a guaranteed deal somewhere um, with a crappier team, maybe like a one-year, one-million-dollar type thing. Uh, I'm skeptical. No, he had it. I mean, that was his first hiccup in the majors. Yeah, but sometimes that's all you need. And he's young. Like his velocity didn't fall off. I don't believe. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but. Okay, so maybe he can't. I, I mean, I, I just, yeah, that's a tough one. I don't see how you can give him north of $2 million. It's a different conversation than can he still be good. I still, I, I would not be surprised if he comes back and is as good as he was in 19 and 20 next year. Like, uh, it was just a command thing with him. And the year starts over, and he rediscovers the uh, ability to move the ball better in and out and not leave as many pitches middle-middle and just becomes Back to being a solid, 
guy that you wouldn't probably want in the seventh, eighth, or ninth, but decent middle reliever. I, I think you could see like what you know Adam Simber was like a couple of years ago, Ugh. and then this year he's really good again. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. relievers do because command can come and go for them, especially when you're looking at these really tiny, small sample sizes. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even write him off completely. Like say that there's no chance that you could bring him back, but not at not risking the rate of giving him any sort of guaranteed deal. I just don't think that makes sense. Right. So that's what I, I just, I think if you're him, it might come down to, can you get a guaranteed deal elsewhere? And does that, how important is that to you? Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, you're, you're talking about this team needs reclamation projects or it needs guys that believes it can turn around and they know Wickering as well as anyone. So it, that's the sort of, marriage that could make sense if it's a non-guaranteed deal but other teams that don't know him well and maybe are just looking at the numbers and the video might say hey this guy is just this tweak away we think so let's give him a million bucks for a year yeah i think that's a good way to look at it you talk to him you say hey we really like you we still think there's a possibility there that you're going to get back to being as good as you were go see what's out there if you can get a guaranteed deal great but if you can't come back and talk to us because we'd absolutely would like to reconnect. Yeah. Um, it's it's tough for him. If he was, I have a question because, because he's clearly the most likely to be non-tendered on this list. And what's weird this year is normally you have to make that decision in early December. I think it's like December 2nd. Um, this year, I think teams are going to approach this differently because 40 man roster spots are so precious. So if you're going to non-tender someone on December 2nd, but your 40 man roster is due on, November 19th, you're probably going to non-tender or just DFA those guys early. So my question is, if he was pre-arbitration, if he was just he's two years in or, or yeah, two years going on to his third year of major league service time and was projected he would just make the major league minimum next year, do you think he would still be DFA'd? Or do you think he'd hang on to that roster spot? I think you'd hang on to the roster spot. Just chalk it up to a bad year where yeah things are fixable, maybe, and move forward with them? Yeah, I think that would be the most likely outcome. Do you disagree? No, because I think guys like Kyle Nelson and Cam Hill and Alex Young, you can cut ties with first. You believe in Wickren more than those guys. Um, so it really is just, it's, it's, it's tough. When, when you have your first hiccup, but that hiccup comes at this point along the arbitration eligibility cycle it it can really mess up your career yeah agreed all right so Ahmed Rosario five million dollars you're gonna commit five million dollars to a guy you don't even know where he's gonna be playing on the diamond <laughs> yeah you're going to <laughs> it's any, any disputes there anything you need to add no yeah actually oh, oh really let's do it let's hear it would it be crazy to trade him no it wouldn't be crazy you don't know where he's going to play. You say he's going to play shortstop, but you almost admit you have the right to change that. But if you're going to change that, you want to change it sooner rather than later so he can have some certainty, so he can learn a new position. And it's just it's hard to do without knowing who you're going to trade for, who you're going to sign, and more importantly, who in-house is going to blossom. Wouldn't this just be easier if he was elsewhere? I don't know what you would trade him for. I think that's the issue no it would absolutely not because i know i have a major league hitter i don't know where he's gonna play but i i have a major league hitter that i still believe might have another notch that he can get to 
but he was a league average hitter this year at shortstop. You want yes. him to be a league average hitter in left field. Well, compared to a guy that was running an 80 out there. But we shouldn't be comparing to Harold Ramirez and Oscar Mercado. You should be comparing to who else you can sign and trade. I think that's the issue is you've got to stop. You got to stop this whole cycle of like finding retread, maybe part-time outfielders and just go get someone who is going to be the answer. Yeah. The thing is, I, I'm not ready to hand shortstop to anybody else until they've earned it. We've covered this a million times. So if, if someone came to you with something that was really appealing and they offered you a, an outfielder that you felt really confident is going to be your left fielder for the next three, four, five years and be a really good player, you know, somewhere to the, the total win value of an Ahmed Rosario playing shortstop, then yeah, let's have that conversation. But do I think that's going to happen? I, 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 don't have, I have no idea. And there's so many intriguing middle infield types that could be available in free agency. Is anyone going to trade for Rosario or are they just going to sign somebody? Yeah, I, I, I'm more saying I would listen, maybe even dangle a little bit. But yeah, it's not, it's not a priority. It's probably not. Probably doesn't make sense. You're right. It's, it's, you would need a team who values him as a shortstop because that's when you're going to extract the most value in a trade. Yeah. But if you're a team that needs a shortstop, I think your sights are set on Correa or Seager or the other bounty of free agent shortstops available. And if somehow you miss out on like all five of them and you need a guy making only $5 million next year, sure, maybe. Um, but no, you're right. And and I think, but this is also why I, I'm so adamant that this team needs to add two legitimate outfielders is because I think they're going to stick at first base with Bradley, knowing that they have Naylor and Jones to, to back up if, if he falters. And then the, the middle infield is just such a cluster, such a mess that I think you just, it would be very helpful if you have the outfield totally settled for the first time in eons. Because then, however this plays out, I mean, we don't know, like, what if, are you confident Ahmed Rosario is going to hit the way he did this year, every year for the next five or six years? I don't, I think that's a possibility. It's a possibility, but I just think there's so much unknown and there's so much we know he can't do so far that I would want, I just, I, I'm assuming the infield is going to be somewhat unsettled and you're going to have guys yeah. moving all around and you're trying to fit Gabriel Arias into this picture somehow. And, you know, when Tyler Freeman's hitting 380 at AAA in June, you're going to be wondering why he's not up. So I think it, I would just do everything in my power if I were Chris Antonetti and maybe I'm speaking more to, to ownership here to make sure the outfield is settled because the infield can be disrupted here over the next 12 to 18 months, I would say. Yeah. Because the other question is, you know, I'm at Rosario, you can pay him 5 million, but that number is going to go up again in 2023. And that would be his last year of team control. So I think you have to think about it a little bit from that standpoint, you know, when does he have the most trade sure. value and, you know, are you going to end up non tendering him a year from now? Yeah. I mean, I, we talked about this as, far back as probably August, you know, right after the, the, we probably even talked about it leading up to the trade deadline, that it's something you should consider. Why would you not consider it or at least listen? I, I, I a hundred percent agree, but I will say there was another shortstop through his age 25 season that many people probably looked at and said three full seasons in the major leagues. 
He's got a 697 career OPS. He's a 258 career hitter with a 286 on base percentage. 46 home runs. I mean, he's got a little bit of power. Some steals. He's he's okay. Is this a guy you want to commit long term to? I don't know. Well, then he blossomed into being Tim Anderson. Oh, All I'm God. saying is he had a 697 OPS through his first three seasons. Then he blossomed in his age 26 season. We're going to keep this comparison rolling. What age does Ahmed Rosario turn next year? Or what age season will it be? 26. Let's compare them through Rosario's first, well, be parts of five seasons, but through his age 25 seasons, 43 home runs, 63 steals, 272, 307, 404 slash line. That's a 712 OPS. Tim Anderson, by the way, two, let's see, 258. 286, 411, that's only a 697 OPS, 46 home runs, 51 steals. Not so different for a hitter that probably has to succeed the same way that Rosario does. Are you done? I mean, I could just keep going. Yeah, I mean, that's it's great wishful thinking. Wishful I thinking. Guess time will tell. All right, so Fran Mel Reyes, that's an easy one. Shane Bieber, yeah, I think that one's all right. Bradley Zimmer. million. (laughs) That's the projection. Yeah. (laughs) I've gone back and forth on this. I've said it before. Like He makes a ton of sense as the fifth outfielder on a bona fide playoff team that has a set outfield because you can throw him in there as a, you know, I keep thinking about the Yankees because you, Put him in there as a defensive replacement for Stanton in the late innings and let him run wild across the outfield at Yankee Stadium and he can steal bases. But, and, and he can, you know, when Stanton has to go on the injured list because he's got a sore quad for two weeks, Zimmer can fill in for two weeks. This team, as of this moment, I would say no, I would non tender him. And this is going to sound kind of backwards because I'm saying no. You don't have any outfielders, so get rid of another one. But I think I just he needs to be in a backup role. I don't I don't think he's an everyday player. I don't think he's a platoon guy. And I just if you go trade for an outfielder and sign an outfielder, if your outfield is and this is not gonna happen, but I mean if your outfield is Reynolds, Straw, and Conforto, then sure. Tender him a contract unless you need that 1.5 million elsewhere. But tender him a contract because those three guys in the outfield are starting every day. And at least Zimmer then can be, he can be that backup and he can fill that role that suits him well. But if you're going to try to, to put him in some role where you're going to actually rely on his production, I think you're fooling yourselves. I, I don't think he has that. So I, I don't think what I said just made sense. It made sense in my head before I started talking. Um, Welcome to my life. <laughs> So I, I don't know. I, I think, I guess my point is if, if you're going to use him for the role he should be used for, then sure. But if you're, if you have more plans for him than backup outfielder who were using him for his legs and his glove, then you're doing this all wrong in the first place. Have you ever been used for your legs? Wait, don't answer that. So I think another thing that, that changes the, the complexion of this a lot is if you're asking him to play center field. It's a a lot more appealing profile when he's playing center field, but you don't need him to do that here. 
and mm-hmm. and maybe Miles Straw. I mean, you could say, well, what if he gets hurt? True. What if anybody gets hurt? But I'm entering the year thinking that he's not. And he's how much time in center field is Bradley Zimmer truly going to play? He's just not as valuable when he's playing at corner. I mean, nope. Yeah, you can upgrade the defense there, and the arm is very appealing in right field, but I, you need more offense, especially if you're playing a catcher that's giving you like 50 to 60% below league average offense. I need some offense from other places, and you're not getting it in the corner outfield from, from Bradley Zimmer. So, I mean, you can hit these massive home runs, and it could be a fun or not-so-fun conversation, depending on your point of view, for a month or so into the season. And I'm glad it happened because it gave us some content and some things to think about. But at this point, I just don't see how he makes sense when you have other other guys with a similar skill set or at least some other people in the minor leagues that I'm, I'm more curious in than, than Bradley Zimmer at this point. The dream would be if someone needs him to play some center field and you can get something for him in a trade. But I'm even skeptical of that happening. If someone knows that you're you're even considering a non-tender, are they going to give you anything for someone like that? I'm I'm skeptical. Yeah, and I think let me I'm going to revise my answer because I'm pretty sure what I just spewed made absolutely no sense. Um, I I think this is tied to your other decisions because if you still have like I, I think you're right. The question is who else can play center field in the event that Straw needs a day off or needs um, or has to go on the injured list. I think Ahmed Rosario ties into this. Is center field still going to be part of his repertoire next year? Can someone like Richie Palacios play center Mm -hmm. field in the major leagues? Um, Are you keeping Oscar Mercado? Are you keeping, you know, I don't think you would want to resort to Daniel Johnson or Harold Ramirez in center, but at least it's, it's an option if you're desperate. And I think they had Jordan Luplo starting in center field along with Harold Ramirez and, it can yeah. work for a short period of time. And I think then that's, I think you're making the case that Zimmer's probably expendable here. Um, I guess I'm just saying in a vacuum for $1.5 million for a good base runner who can steal bases and cover a ton of ground in the outfield, that's absolutely worth it. And hit the occasional 490 foot home run, sure. Um, for this team and the complexion of the roster, probably doesn't make a ton of sense. Okay, what's more valuable that one point, whatever it ends up being, let's say they do, they probably wouldn't go through arbitration. Let's say they reach a settlement somewhere around $1 million or the roster spot. What's more the valuable? Spot. Yeah, I think Absolutely I'm with the you. Roster spot. I'm with but, you. But, and we've talked about this. I mean, if, if you believe he can help you more than Oscar Mercado can or more than Harold Ramirez can, then you probably just keep him. I mean, uh, $1.5 million shouldn't be too much of a hurdle, even for a team that doesn't spend money. It's it, the, the whole question in my mind has been, it's, it's the roster spot. It's the fact that he's going to be 29 years old. And so those skills, I don't know if they're improving. If anything, over time, you're going to lose some of that speed. You're going to lose some of that bat speed and power. Um, so it, it's all about the roster spot. It's just who fits this better. Is it Zimmer? Is it Mercado? Is it Harold Ramirez? Is it Daniel Johnson. And the bigger thing is it can only be like one, maybe two of those four. So who's it going to be? And Depends then that, on what else you do. Isn't that pretty closely related to Harold Ramirez too, based on what you sure. need him to do and which one would you yeah. rather? Let's say we, we don't know exactly what Ramirez's status will be, but again, it comes back down to what are we, we're talking about a, a million dollars, maybe a little bit more than that. The roster spot is more what we're talking about here. 
So would you rather keep Bradley Zimmer or would you rather keep Harold Ramirez? <laughs> or both. I don't know. I don't know. The thing with Harold Ramirez is I, I, that guy's going to give people nightmares if he keeps playing the outfield. You know, defensively, he was just, it was really rough down the stretch. It's hard to believe that that guy was playing in center field when he first came up. Um, and I just never saw, you know, we were so, we were marveling at him at the beginning because he never swung and missed and he made so much contact and he hit the ball so hard, so frequently that that profile you think, I mean, it was kind of like with Yandy Diaz. It was like, Hey, if this guy can hit the ball in the air a little bit, there could really be something here. And with Harold Ramirez, he just never did that. And as the season went on, I think he started to swing and miss a little bit more. He saw the strikeout rate go from really impressive to like solid. So I, if he can't play defense well and he's not going to hit for power, I don't know that that's worth a roster spot. Again, I think I'd rather see some of what I don't know, especially since he's already 27 years old. I think I'd rather see Oscar Gonzalez. I'd rather see Richie Palacios. I'd rather see... Stephen Kwan, um, and I, I, I don't. Th- if if Harold Ramirez is eligible for arbitration and the number is like one point five million, like I don't, I don't think I would pay that. But again, it's it's more about just the forty man spot. You have to build a power ranking of seven or eight outfielders here, and and determine who is the best fit. I don't think he would be at the top for me. You asked an interesting question, and because you asked it. I'm interested to hear what you say first because I'm still chewing on it. But what or why is this offseason so critical and are we overrating that? I'm curious why you asked that because I, I think it is absolutely critical because it's such a turning point potentially for the franchise mm-hmm. with so many young players on the horizon and the rotation still in place. And it's like if you could find a way to marry those two without going too far in one direction or the other. And it's kind of what the organization has tried to do for so many years now. This could be a, a launching off point that you'll look back on fondly and say, remember, remember when they were entering 2022 and things really took an up, upward turn. So why do you why do you think it's even a question that it's that it is so critical? Well, OK, I will try to keep this concise. It's something we have talked about on this podcast. It's something I've written. It's something I've tried to get across when I do radio interviews because I think we have overrated this in the past. You know, I think a team can be really good and you you get to the offseason and you're like, all right, they just need one outfielder and maybe they'll sign this guy. And it's like, no, it's not the way this team has operated. And... I think you can get carried away. I think we're all guilty of it. I think even on this podcast, we have fun sometimes and we throw out names and look, they consider the name, like they, they asked about Brian Reynolds. All right. So it's not like we're just making up a rumor out of thin air during the season and there's actually no chance of it happening. But realistically, like moves like that are tough to pull off and you don't see them too often. So I think just generally speaking, I think we can all inflate the sense of urgency when you get to this point in the season or of the year. And as the hot stove starts up and, you know, rumors start flying, I think it's easy to get carried away. Here's the thing. I think the franchise does a lot of things really well. 
I think organizationally, they're in, in the front office, they're incredibly smart. I think we can lobby as many criticisms at ownership as we want, and many are justified. And yet the one thing they do so well is working with that collaborative culture and allowing Antonetti and Chernoff and all those guys to do what they do. And there's a reason Carter Hawkins is probably going to the Cubs. There's a reason James Harris was one of the other finalists. There's a reason why Derek Falvey runs the Twins and et cetera and et cetera. It goes on and on. And it started with Hank Peters and John Hart 30 years ago. You know, this has been going on since before the Dolans were here and, and they've allowed it to continue where you just have a really smart front office that knows what it takes to make things work in this city. That said, I think there has been a lack of having a finger on the pulse. And while I don't, I, I, we've talked about it, how, you know, Antonetti can't worry about what a fan is going to think when he trades Francisco Lindor. I think that's important. I think you need to separate emotion from the business, but I think now more than ever, it is critical to know how your fan base thinks, why they think that way, whether it's a vocal minority griping about payroll and ownership, or if it is how many fans actually feel. And when you are diving into what that means and why it matters, it has never been more prevalent than right now because the name change. I mean, think about the last calendar year where you started in January by trading the face of the franchise, you took the payroll all the way down lower than anyone thought was conceivable. You had the name change, you made four trades at the trade deadline that turned the last two months of the season into extended spring training and auditions. And it was, it was mind numbing to watch. You know, it was, if you were a fan in Cleveland, if you're a fan of all three teams, training camp started at the same time that this team just went into extended spring training mode. So what interest would there be in, in being really invested about the last two months? You had your manager stepping away. You had rumors about the lease flying and, and what it was going to mean for the future of, of the ballpark and the team staying in Cleveland. It's been a year where everything has been negative. You know, when was the last time there was positive news coming out of 2401 Ontario Street? Uh, it's been it's been a really long time. So I think in an effort to sell tickets, in an effort to sell new merchandise, in an effort to just galvanize a fan base that is so fractured, because for whatever reason, whether it's you're disenchanted because of the payroll and because you've watched this team trade away stars, even if it's justified or not, like that doesn't matter. The customer is still almost always right. Um, if you're mad about the name change, like the easiest way to smooth over everything is to put a winner on the field and it might not result in a new sellout streak streak and it might not, you know, revolutionize the team in Cleveland, but it is the easiest way to move past all of the negative headlines that have followed this team all year. I didn't even mention the Mickey Calloway stuff. Um, and the way to do that is to build some goodwill to sign Jose Ramirez to an extension so that people can finally, like you're trying to sell guardians merchandise. The first thing people are going to say is, well, why would I buy the Jersey of someone who might just be traded next year? Well, you sign Jose Ramirez to an extension. That isn't a thing. You know, if you, if you get how many people in Cleveland 
the average casual fan, how many people, what do you think they think? I mean, I see tweets all the time saying that this team is constantly garbage or that this year they were horrendous and that they're not going to be good again for a decade, stuff like that. And again, it goes back to determining like what is, what is the widespread consensus here? Like what do fans think about this team? I think you and I think that this team could actually be pretty good next year if they make the right additions. But how does the casual average fan who isn't going to be listening to our Patreon podcasts and listens to Sports Talk Radio, which is mostly just Browns, and you know maybe just occasionally glances at the standings or, or attends a couple games a year, do they know that the rotation could be one of the best in the league? Do they know the bullpen is really interesting? Do they know that the farm system is really strong? I don't know. And, you know, they've not done a good enough job to have everybody like on the same page and understanding what the plan is. And so I think it's just imperative that you make some moves to make this team good, to open some eyes, to prove that it doesn't always just have to be the same story over and over again, where you build a decent team and it's got some good players, but those players are on a ticking clock when they're in Cleveland because the minute that they're eligible to make a bunch of money, they're going to be gone. I just, I think you need to, I know it, I know when they signed Edwin Encarnacion, they didn't get the, they, they had 2 million fans that first year and Encarnacion got a bonus because of it, but I don't think it quite had the effect they were hoping for. And I know ownership kind of got cold feet after that. That's part of the reason why then a year later you had, the trade with Encarnacion and Santana and Jake Bowers and Yadi Diaz. And I just, I don't think you're ever going to see $150 million payroll under a Dolan ownership again, but you have to just, you have to get out of your comfort zone and you have to be a little flexible and you have to, you know, I think you, I think it's imperative that the team is the one making the move. Like you think about the chicken and the egg, is it fans have to come and then we'll spend money or is it spend money and the fans will come thinking this at this point, Given everything that's happened, I think it's on ownership and the front office to make that first move. And and I think, you know, it's easy to say to, to overrate the importance of an offseason, but everything that's happened, everything that's changed, I really think it's critical that the fan base as a whole sees that this team is headed in the right direction. You just got to do more to get them there. Ditto. You said it. I got nothing else to add. Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify is where you find the free version of this. Well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But if you need more of the Godcast, we are here for you every week over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Selby is Godcast. Come join our growing community over there. We have a lot of fun. And I'm already looking forward to it where we got some some carryover. So you were worried we were not going to have enough to talk about. I still don't know if I'm... Am I keeping Bradley Zimmer? Am I dumping him? What, what, what was the conclusion there? Oh, well, luckily, the thrilling conclusion will be had later this week over at Patreon. Until then, have a good week, everybody. See ya.